Welcome to the Small Business Podcast. We bring you weekly information, practical skills, and mentorship from industry professionals. This podcast is powered by T, an initiative that has directly impacted over 50,000 plus small businesses nationwide. This podcast is for small business owners who want to start, run, and grow their business. Follow us on all our social media platforms. Hashtag join us for T. Every Wednesday is a new podcast. To all the entrepreneurs out there, good afternoon, good evening. If you're in a different country, different time zone, I hope you're enjoying this day because today we've got uh, an amazing entrepreneur in the room, a property guru, an inspirational gentleman, one who has been able to influence quite a large number of people. And I think primarily so even through a pandemic is drawing large numbers where he's sharing financial knowledge and strategically advising people in terms of how to grow their property portfolio. So if you are one person who was sort of thinking, how do I grow my property portfolio? Or rather, how do I reinvest my funds? or even position my business the right way for growth, this is the podcast that you definitely want to be listening to. Um, I think just formally to introduce the guest that I've got in studio today, uh, Mr. Witness Mdaga is the founder and CEO of Quality Growth International, a dynamic property investment development and management company. Mr. Mdaga, how are you, sir? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? Good, good, man. I mean, it's so great to finally have you in studio. It actually feels great to finally kick off this podcast with you. Tell us a bit about yourself, man. All right. Uh, like you said, my name is Witness. I run a property company. I was born in Guiani, raised in Tlepkat and Tembisa. And my property journey started in the year 2008 after my mother built back rooms. I think you know the back rooms. Yeah. Uh, at home. And upon finishing the back room, she had a stroke and she said to me, I must look after the back rooms if I want to go to university, because that was the purpose of why those back rooms were built, so that I could afford uh, to go to university. And just like that, that's how my property journey started. I didn't know it was a business then. I didn't think of it as a business. I just thought it's something that we just using for me to go to school and to put food on the table. Right. Uh, fast forward. Uh, I did uh, graduate with a Bachelor of Business Administration degree and later got a postgrad in project management. Uh, and then I worked for a marketing company for about a year. Uh, I left them. I ran a spaza shop with a friend of mine. Oh, wow. uh, and then I ran a construction company. Then eventually went uh, and started a property company and ran the business full time. But I mean, just, I mean, let's just track back a little bit. I mean, now you're this kid, you know, who was born in Guyanis, moved into a Joburg township called Tembisa. Yeah. Um, at what point does it dawn on you that you're going to go into this entrepreneurial journey? Or rather, maybe answer me this first. Yeah. What What was the dream before? Was there a dream before entrepreneurship? Or was there an idea in terms of career path, in terms of entrepreneurship? And then on the back of that, when did the entrepreneurial bug bite? So in high school, I was quite a, a naughty kid, yeah. right? And around about that time, I thought maybe I should become a lawyer in case I get into trouble, <laughs> right? Uh, but other than that, I had asked my father uh, and, and some of my family members who's the wealthiest in their family. And they happened to mention this uncle of mine who's an advocate. Then I thought, oh, if he's an advocate, then I might as well become an advocate Maybe I'll be as wealthy as he is, yeah. right? Um, but when I went to VITS at the time, I, I, I went to VITS uh, at some point, I got excluded. Uh, I wanted to study 
law. And then they decided that nah, they're not going to take me for law. So they took me for something called politics, philosophy, and economics. Mm. And that's what I studied at the time. And when I failed, uh, that was when obviously the rooms were built. Then I went to MGI, Midland Graduate Institute. When I got there, I wanted to study, study something called property economics. And they said to me, no, we don't have that kind of course, but we've analyzed you and we did an aptitude test with you. And we think you should study something business related. And a bachelor's in business administration would probably go handy for you for, in terms of the work that you want to do. And even at that point, I had not thought of myself as an entrepreneur. Uh, but to be honest with you, a year or two before that, I had already started a recycling business with a friend of mine called Gift, right? So that's the gentleman who actually introduced me into business, mm -hmm. right? I remember we're in a train to Pretoria to go register our recycling company. And, and he took out a book, right? It's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. That was the name of the book. And he gave the book to me and he said, do you even read? Like he's, he's a cocky fellow. Yeah. He's like, do you even read? I'm like, what do you mean do I read? It's like, I have never seen you read a book outside of what we study in varsity. Here's a book that I think can be interesting to you. So I read half the book from Okmo in Tembisa, the train station in Tembisa, to the train station in Pretoria. So I already read half the book because the train had stopped somewhere. You know how trains are. Yeah, yeah. It could be going and then out of... Midway. You know, so midway just, just stops, <laughs> right? So I had read half the book by the time we get there. And I can tell you now, I was inspired uh, by the book to actually realize, oh, snap, I actually do run a Robert Kiyosaki kind of business right in the township. Mm, mm. And But other than that, what has contributed to my journey is a couple of things. There was also a tenant um, that we had at home. I call him Uncle Rob. Uncle Rob is my first mentor, right? I really looked up to him. I wanted to make him proud because I grew up without a father, so he was more like a, a father figure to me, right? So Uncle Rob uh, always wanted me to do well, and I wanted to do well to please him, yeah. right? One time he called me, he's like, do you know that with all these seven rooms, we had seven rooms at home that we were renting out, mm. you've got what you call sectional titles. Yeah. Now, it might not look like what they have in Midrand, Kempton Park or Bryanston, but it is a property business and you need to start, start treating it as such. Yeah. Treat it like a business. Um, yeah, and, and that is when the journey started. But obviously I was focused on more on finishing my studies. Uh, when I finished my studies, I wanted to start um, uh, a laundromat at home. So the idea was I was going to go to the nearest private hospital as well as the government hospital and contract to them to wash their linen and their patients' uh, clothes. And my mother, because she was a nurse, she knew what that means, mm. right? Because patients, they mess up on mm. the sheets, they mm. mess, up, mess up on their clothes. She was like, you're going to wash what? At whose house? <laughs> You're not going to do that. I don't want my house smelling like shit. Yeah, that's what she yeah. said. In our language, though, she's like, yeah. Majimba, mm. that's what shit is in our language. She's like, that's not going to happen. Uh, I need you to go get a job. And funny enough, they had a meeting, a family meeting, my mother, my grandmother, and I was part of the meeting. And they were convincing me to go get a job. Right. And my grandmother's reasoning behind that was that I know you want to start a business. Um, but this business of yours of washing linen and whatever, we don't believe in it. 
But we want you to do something for us first before you become an entrepreneur because we see that's what you want to do. Go get a job. Work in that job for about a year, right? I want you to sit down during lunch and think about the business that you want to start and what you want to do with your life. But while doing that, you will be learning in somebody else's business. You'll be learning how a business is run. You'll be learning how to be responsible and you'll be learning a work ethic, right? Mm. So that's what I want you to do. And yeah, I listened to my grandmother. I got a job. I worked for a company called Student Village. It's a youth marketing company. I worked for them for 14 months before I quit my job and went to into entrepreneurship full-time. And I mean, you know, entrepreneurship in and itself is a very difficult journey. Where do you sort of draw inspiration from? So where do I draw inspiration from? From a lot of things. Actually, um, there is a quote, I think, uh, Christopher McDowell. It says, every morning in Africa, right, a lion wakes up and it realizes that it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it'll starve that day. And in the same morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up and realizes that it must outrun the fastest lion or it will be killed that day, right? So, and then he says, it doesn't matter whether you're a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better start running, right? So for me, it's more like there's always constantly going to be something that you are chasing, as a person, right? I'm chasing a life away from the township because that's where I grew up. I'm chasing a better life. I'm chasing a life that I can afford at any time. I'm chasing my dreams, right? But at the same time, I understand that as an African, I'm being chased by my past life. I'm being chased by the life of poverty that we are, we are accustomed to in the township. I'm being chased by the stereotypes that are surrounding young people that grew up without fathers. So there's a lot of pressure when I think about that to say, I don't want that to catch up with me. And at the same time, I want to give my daughter uh, the best life that I can possibly care. And I want to also live the best life that I can possibly give myself. That's what I'm chasing, yeah. right? I think I draw inspiration from that, you know, from everyday stories in the township to say, okay, do I really want to go back there? Do I really want to be uh, that guy who just sits at the corner and does nothing? When we were growing up, that was what was mm, happening. Mm, a lot of guys would be yeah. sitting around street corners, guys with potential, right? So for me, I draw inspiration from the fact that I could potentially be someone's way out of where they are. I can inspire them uh, to dream better, to think better, maybe because of something I said or did. yeah, um, Or maybe by just following my journey. Now, now tell me this. What what was the pivotal advice, not even advice, but what was the pivotal financial lesson that you learned that sort of transformed how you viewed money? So here's what happened. <laughs> so my mother, right? I told you that my mother, actually, when I told you this story, I didn't tell it in full. So how, how my mother got to build their back rooms cash was that in 2006, seven, she discovered that she had overpaid her house that she had bought in 1990 by over 150,000 rands, right? And then she built those back rooms and she bought me a car, right? Uh, and then one year, she allowed me to collect the rental without actually asking me monthly what I'm doing with the money, right? But at the end of the year, she came to me with a calculator and a pen and paper 
having calculated all the money that I collected the entire year and said, this is the money that you collected. I'm assuming this is how much you've been using monthly for groceries and school fees. I want the rest of the money right now. Mm. And I didn't have the money because I had been partying. I had been using the money as if <laughs> it was mine. Yeah. And that for me was a pivotal moment because I understood that if you're a steward of something, if you're given something to look after, you're going to one day account for it. Right. And that taught me a big lesson because she put me under pressure mm. and I wasn't even expecting that kind of pressure. I wasn't expecting that she would come and say, I want all my money right now. So mm. that was a pivotal moment in terms of financial management for me. And then, I mean, <clears throat> just, just give me an idea in terms of your entrepreneurial journey. I mean, quite a large number of entrepreneurs have been impacted by the pandemic. Mm. Um, I think so, so, so just maybe from a surface, surface level or rather from a psychological perspective, I mean, how are you dealing with the sort of lockdowns, levels going up and down, the financial, um, you know, strain that might come from it? I mean, what has been the impact and how are you dealing with it? So, I mean, I'm in the property business, right? And when, when people lose their jobs, generally they decide to go home. And sometimes they put in notices. Sometimes they move immediately without even giving notice because they're saying, I haven't been getting an income for six months or for three months or for a month. So therefore, I'm moving out of the apartment. So automatically, if you're a business that affects you um, because you find yourself with a lot of units that are not occupied at that time because we're in the middle of a pandemic, of course, people are losing their jobs. right? So that creates pressure. But what I've seen about myself is that I'm a very mentally strong person, right? I've, 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 I've put myself in a position where I understand the nature of our business um, from start to finish. And I know the cycles, right? I know for a fact that, for instance, in the pandemic, when other people are losing jobs, right, others are downgrading, mm. right? So those that are downgrading from the apartments in Midrand, that they're paying 8,004, they're downgrading to our apartments, which they pay 4,000 and below, right? So even when there's a recession or a pandemic, I understand that our business is agile enough, right, to survive that because people have to downgrade. Now, and even in a, what we call a boom, right, those people who have lost jobs are now getting jobs back. They now need the place to stay. So, I think it goes back to, it wasn't done intentionally, but that's how our business was built, mm. right? To be able to say, okay, during a pandemic, this is how things are. And during an economic recession, this is how things are, right? But as well, I've, I'm more of somebody who likes to try different things, right? Um, like, as you know, I've recently written a book and how that came about, right? During lockdown, I was writing property stories on Facebook. Right. And to my surprise, I only had 400 followers. Uh, I've got about 50,000 now. But how that happened is that I had 400 followers. I was writing and people were saying these stories are ridiculous. It's not possible to invest in property in this way. And then all of a sudden I had about 7,000 followers. Then I told my family, I'm like, if I reach 10,000 followers, um, I'm going to write a book. So that was last year around April, early April. Right. I said, if I reach 10,000 followers, I'm going to write a book. 
right? And my idea around writing the book was, okay, now I think I've got an audience that is going to buy the book, mm. right? Because when I had 400 followers, I didn't see the need to write the book because I thought the market was not big enough. Mm. But when I saw the numbers growing because of my writing, I thought maybe now is the best time to write the book. Everybody's home. It's a pandemic. I've got the time. I started writing the book in April. I was done with the book by June. Mm. Right. Then I have I had the book published and I've sold thousands of copies of the book mm. from Facebook alone. Mm. Right. It's mm. not like a publisher came and sold the book for me. Even today, as we're sitting here, probably if I check my phone, people have deposited money for the book. Right. So, there was something that was that I learned a lot from that because my focus was not just on uh, the property business. There are other businesses that maybe somebody would come and say, I've got this business. Do you believe in it? Would you be able to invest? If I believe in the model and I believe in the business, I diversify and invest some money, right? And for me, even with the book, it has taught me to think differently about things. Yeah. That it was a pandemic. We were all at home. And I thought, okay, how do I build a brand for myself? Right? How do I make my name bigger? I thought, okay, I can write. Right? I know how to write. Uh, let me write freely. Let people access my writings freely. Then after a while, I said, oh, wow, people are accessing yeah. the stuff. Okay, let's write a book. Because yeah. if people are following it, they might as well buy and I might as well make some money from it. Mm. Then later, we started what we call the inner circle chats right, where people join me online and we have chats like this uh, and they pay 500 bucks. At, at a given point, we have 50, 60 people joining us mm. there, right? And then later I launched a mentorship program mm. where I've got a group of property experts in my team and we are mentoring people how to build property businesses, mm. right? Because, and it's all based on the feedback that people have been giving from reading the book. Someone would come and say, or would write to me and say, I had only one property during lockdown when I started following you. As we speak, I've got four properties and I'm a property investor now. Maybe, I wouldn't have done that. Maybe let me cut in here because you, you're getting into the juicy stuff. Yeah. What is the book? You know, tell us what the book title is. Yeah. And 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 what are some of the nuggets that are in the book? Yeah. So <laughs> Don't so, give off too much. You guys need to buy the book. <laughs> so the name of the book is It's More Than Just Money, mm. A Guide to Escaping the Red Race and Building Generational Wealth. Mm. Right. So the the book really speaks to when you when you look at the book from the first few chapters, it speaks of how your mindset needs to be uh, in order for you to build any business, for instance, right? Uh, what the mindset should be. And the fact that most of the work that we do as entrepreneurs, it's 80% mindset more mm. than anything. Mm. And 20% the skill that we have. Because mm. there are a lot of skilled people that don't have the right kind of mindset that are not achieving half of what others who are half as skilled are achieving. Right. So more than anything, it's the mindset that one has that propels one to a certain level. Mm. Right. So, for instance, you said something about finance and savings. Right. Someone might be earning, let's say, 3,500 now. Right. If they don't look after 3,500, 3, there's no way they're going to look after 350,000 because mm. it's got nothing to do with the amount of money. It's about the person's habits. Right. And what they value when it comes to money. Right. And in the book, for instance, I share how someone who earns 3,500 and one rent can buy a property and access the flips 
uh, subsidy from the government for them to be able to buy a property. And how someone who earns that much would be thinking about buying a property in Centen when they should be thinking about buying a property where their salary affords them to buy a property, mm. right? Because it's it's mainly about what you afford. It's got nothing to do with not being able to access the market. The market is ripe for anybody. Anybody can buy a property as long as they earn that minimum, right? And then another thing, there are properties below 200 grand, 150 grand, 50 grand. We know that. We've seen those properties in the CBDs, in the townships, in the rural areas, but people are not buying those because people want to live in Centen. But their salary, you know, a friend of mine says, don't look for a Centen property with a Tembisa salary, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you've got a salary that affords something in Tembisa, but you want to live in Centen, but you can't afford Centen, right? So it, that has got nothing to do with the money. It's more the mindset and being able to see things for what they are. And saying, okay, I can afford that first property in Tembisa. I'm going to buy it and build back rooms, for instance. I'm going to rent those out. I'm going to make some money. I've supplemented my income. I'm going to use that income, go to the bank and say, now I'm earning this much. I want another property. The bank will gladly give you because the bank's business is all about giving you what you afford. Mm. Right. So basically, that's what mostly the book covers, showing people how they can buy property, the mindset around that. And also how to build uh, a business and how to access uh, shares. So it's basically three cornerstones of wealth creation, business, property, and shares. Those have been mm. tested for years, decades, and centuries. Right? I know new things have come in, Bitcoin yeah, and yeah. all those, but prop business property shares right, have been around. So it's we've got a business, we're making money out of it. Where do we park our money? We put our money in property because property is cash flowing can give us money even mm, when we're not working. Mm, mm. Could be sitting here, somebody's paying rent somewhere. That's cash flow, mm. right? And then it grows in value, right? So it safeguards us against business challenges. So if somebody right now is going through challenges because of COVID, right? Um, had they put some money in properties, they would be having tenants paying them rental right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was a moment or a time in your entrepreneurial journey where you felt like, um maybe I should spend all the money now and live lavishly. Yeah. And which is which is the battle that most of us fight, you know, because I think you you you'd rather prefer eating over over building. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what does it take to consistently remind yourself that you need to delay the gratification? Yeah. I think it's um you need to reset your dreams. And by what I mean with that is that okay. Let's say you get your first million, right? And it's what you had dreamed of to make your first million. Now you've made your first million. Instead of celebrating and now starting to live the millionaire lifestyle, right? You have to understand that people who live the millionaire lifestyle are not one million millionaires. They're multi-millionaires or billionaires. That's why they're able to live the millionaire lifestyle, right? So you are an entry-level millionaire, for instance. So which means now you have to reset your dreams and say, I've made a million. How do I make 10? How do I take this million and make 10? So the goal has to be bigger. The dream has to be bigger. If the dream is not big, then you feel like you've arrived. And then also surrounding yourself with people that are far more successful than you are, right? So I think I've done pretty well in, in my property journey. Um, but when I'm sitting with other property guys that are 
some much older, much wealthier, some are younger than me, but are doing bigger things, right? I realized that, oh, in the grand scheme of things, right, I might have done well, but in the grand scheme of things, um, I must humble myself when I'm with certain people because they've done far better than I have. I need to be learning to grow my portfolio, right? I'll give you an example. So one time, one time I had bought a BMW, right? And and there was this lady who wanted to, wanted to to invest in my business. I'll never forget that lesson. It's, it's one of the lessons in my book. So this lady wanted to give me $2 million as an investment. And she wanted to introduce me to the board of the PIC, right? Uh, for them to invest some of the PIC's money in my business. And, uh, and she called me for a meeting at her house somewhere here in Senton. Uh, I bought, I put on expensive clothing at the time. I put in a nice, it was a Tom Ford cologne. Mm, mm, put in a nice Tom Ford cologne. I had an NP200 and a new BMW at the time. I didn't take the NP200, I took the BMW. Didn't even have a number plate at the time. Went to a house. We had a chat and she's like, hmm, you bought a new car, huh? I was like, yeah, I bought a new car. She's like, hmm, interesting. Those were her words. Mm. Then we sat, we talked. That was the last time I, I heard from her. Mm. Now, it made me think, why would someone give you two million when you've just bought a car with 500,000 rands? Mm. Mm. Why don't you invest your own money in your own business? Mm. Right. So for me, that has taught me to say, yes, instant gratification, sometimes we want it, but it can delay our dreams. It can delay the progress. It can delay the process. And, and I mean, I want to cut in there, right? Mm, mm. Sorry. How important is that, right? To have skin in the game, right? To put your money where your mouth is, to invest or bank in yourself. Yeah. You know, because I think it's largely known and I think there's a lot of stereotypes and thinking around banks don't do this. Yeah. DFIs don't do that. Financial institutions don't do this for us. But how important is what you just mentioned now, linking it to your story for one to um, bank on themselves? When I bank on myself, it means I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm bankable. Other people can also bank on me, right? And I'm willing to put in my money into my product and I'm willing to put my money into my business, right? And it tells, it sends a message to other people that, oh, I can invest with this guy because he's investing in himself, right? So it's quite important when you, when you raise money from a bank, uh, for a certain property, they'll tell you we'll give you 95% of the money. Uh, the rest you must raise. Or we'll give you 80% of the money. The rest you must raise. Right? They want what, what they call equity. Right? They want you to put in something in that project. Mm. Some financial institutions, they'll tell you, before we even do the deal with you, we need you to have 20% of the money as down payment. Whether the project is 100 million, it's 10 million or 2 million, we want you to have 20% of that money. What that says is that they know that you are as invested as they are in the project. So you are going to make the project a success because a part of your money, a part of your efforts are in that. Mm. So it's quite important for you to invest in your business because it tells other people that you are serious about your business. What, what, what would then be your advice to an entrepreneur out there, a young entrepreneur out there who is really just thinking, 
okay, fine, I'm making money within this discipline, mm. but how do I solidify my funds? How do I grow them, right? Where do I start? Or even if it's not an entrepreneur who's out there, but someone who's listening to this podcast who's a professional and yeah. academic who's thinking to themselves, well, I mean, I get a good 500 there and there, 200 there and there. Where should I be thinking? Because most of the time when we talk about investments or we talk about property portfolios, it seems like these big, hairy monsters, right, yeah. that needs 2 million, you know, 30 million for one to participate in. But I think at a macro level, where do I start with the little that I'm getting? Yeah. At a macro level, you don't need you don't need uh, a lot of money to invest in property. At a, at a, at a very small, micro, very small level, it's, it's, it's that all you have to have is what, what the bank will say, credit worthiness, Right. The bank, if you're credit worthy, you've looked after your credit, you've got a good credit score, and you've got a job, as an example, right? As a start, you've got a job. The bank will give you money to buy a property, right? So you don't have to, in, in fact, it's the worst thing to do to use your own money to buy a property. I would never buy a property cash. Mm. Mm. I would never buy a property cash. I would always finance a property, right? Because... There, I'm, 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 I'm getting far more than I would if I would bought, bought the property cash. Let me give you an example. Let's say I'll give you an example with two guys, right? One guy has got 500,000 rands cash to buy a property. He buys his property cash. Maybe he wants to rent it out. He rents it out for about five grand, right? Another guy comes in and, and says, I've got 500,000 rands cash too, but I've also got good credit. Instead of buying one property uh, uh, for 500,000 rands cash, I'm going to buy 10 properties, right, of 250,000 rands uh, finance there because I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to put in a deposit of, what, 50,000 rands on each of the property. Maybe let's not even do 10 properties. Let's make it five properties of 250 each and put a hundred thousand rands deposit on each of them essentially the bank is what financing the guy for what 650 because it's yeah. only what a hundred or 750 yeah a hundred and fifty thousand rands per property that the bank is financing for now let's assume that each of those properties the five that the other guy bought and the one that the other bought cash grows in value by ten percent right so the ones for 250 grow in value by 25,000 rands each. Mm. All right? That is what? Five properties. 25,000 rands each. That's 125,000 rands. Right? Mm. Increase in his portfolio value. The other guy who bought cash, his increase by 10% is only 5,000 rands on his one property that he paid cash. Now, let's compare it to the amount of money put into the portfolio. Mm. Now, he put in only, uh, what, uh, 500,000 rands cash. It's 10% growth. The yeah. other guy put in 500,000 rands spread across five properties, but his growth value is 125,000 rands. Mm. That's 20%. That's more than 20% growth in his money that he's put in, mm. right? Why? The difference is leverage. He financed his properties, which made him get more mm. for the money that he had. He bought cash, so he doesn't have leverage. You see, leverage and debt is like a bomb, right? You can use a bomb uh, 
to 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 blow your house up or you can use it in the in the in the mines yeah to mine gold right it's leverage it makes things get uh get to you quicker right and the difference there is the mindset like i said in the mm. beginning and the understanding how things are done right Whereas you don't even have to buy those properties simultaneously. You can buy them every month or every three months. The bank allows that. Yeah, but people yeah. don't know that because people, people overly expose themselves. When the bank says you qualify for a property of 500,000, the person goes for a property of 500,000. Why not go for one for 250, 250 each? Hmm. Now, now, on the back of that, there, there's a mindset from people that says, well, why rent when I can own? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, if I'm re if I'm owning a property, I'm better than someone who's out there renting, busy jumping from one rental to another. To another. Yeah. I mean, what's your what's your what's your what are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't believe in owning a primary home. Hmm. I think I've said this to you uh, and a couple of other people before. The reason I don't believe in owning a primary home is that why buy a home when I can pump money into my portfolio, right? So let's assume there are two guys. Right, one guy uh, wants to live. Um, maybe let's choose Brinston. Yeah, maybe average house here is what three point five million, five million. Let's assume they're working. The guy buys. The first guy says, "Now nah, I'm financing my house. It's my dream house. I want my family to have a home. I've got three point five million access uh, to to mortgage at the bank. I'm buying my house. Three point five million. Happily ever after with my wife and kids." perfect he's got a house right the other guy says i have the same job as this guy i'm not gonna buy a house i'm gonna rent a home and i'm gonna pay 10 grand a month uh, maybe not in brineston or maybe in brineston i'm gonna rent an apartment one bedroom two bedroom doesn't matter mm. i'm gonna pay 10 grand now i'm gonna use my 3.5 million access to buy three properties in the township put back rooms and rent them out. Or I'm going to buy a building. Hmm. I'm going to buy a building for 3.5 million. I'm going to save up a deposit and buy a building for 3.5 million. Right? So I'm renting a 10 grand apartment and my building, because I get rental from it, cash flow pays my apartment. So the money I make from my job, I keep it. I still live in Brinston with the brother that stays in Brinston and owns this property. But he doesn't have cash flow. He's paying that from his salary. Yeah. I'm paying that from my building. Now, when the properties, yes, his property is going to grow in value, but my building is going to grow in value too. Mm. And my building, I can renovate it, rezone it, use it for other purposes for me to unlock more money and more value out of it. Right. So I don't necessarily believe in taking money. I've got a mentor who's building a house for 80 million rands, right? So he's bored. He's in his 50s. I tell him all the time, you are bored. I would take that money and put it in my portfolio, but we're, we're at different levels, mm. right? But he said something to me recently. He's like, I don't need this house. I'm building it so that I can showcase mm. my skills because I've got a construction company that builds in light gauge steel. Mm. So when people see this house, they're going to ask me who built it. And I'm going to tell them, Circle Developments built this house. Which means they're going to come to me for business. Now, that's strategic. Yes, he's building his family home, but he's also using that as an avenue to grow his business. 
So for me, the mindset is always ought to be, how do I grow? How do I become better? But still living the same lifestyle without depriving myself, right? Maybe a few, a year or two after that, I can still go live in the 3.5 million house in Brainstein, but my building will be paying the rental for that, not that, me. That That's amazing. Now, I think some of the, some, some of the things I sort of pick up in what you're mentioning. So here you are. Um, you've got these mentors. These mentors are people that are doing extremely well. Now, how does, because one of the biggest challenges that I sort of pick up with a lot of young entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general is um, the sort of mentor-mentee type of a relationship with just breaking into circles, the, um, aspirational circles or inspirational circles with people that would help them get to the next level or offer them peer support, or even just draw advice and inspiration from. How did you get into the spaces that you got into? <laughs> Tell yeah, us. Well, young boy from the township, just graduated. How do I get in? Look, look, you know what? Let me tell you something. At the end of the day, right, you've got to be willing to pick up the phone and call people. You've got to be willing to email people. You've got to be able to knock on people's doors. Some of the mentorships, uh, the mentors I have, I have quite a lot of mentors. How they ended up mentoring me was that I I literally proposed business to them. So I'd go to them and say, look, uh, this is what my business does. I want to do business with you. And in as much as they didn't want to do business with me, some of them, they would say, you know what? I don't want to do this business of yours that you're doing. But I'll mentor you because I know a lot about this industry. Mm. I won't partner with you, but I'll take you by the hand. You can visit me anytime in my office. I'll make time for you. We'll sit down and have coffee and talk. Right. So I promise you, most of them, it's been me knocking on the door saying, I want to do business with you. Mm. Are you willing to do business with me? This is what I do. This is what I'd like to do. I need X amount of money. And we'll be like, no, I don't have that kind of money to give you. But I know someone who does. I know someone who does this kind of work. So um, as a young person, specifically young black person, I think one ought to have what we call the plug, right? Ekasi, mm. we call it the plug. And we use it in the wrong context to do wrong things, right? But the plug is having the guts and the audacity to knock on doors that are big and saying, I'm looking to partner. Mm, mm. And that 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 is how I personally got the mentors that I have. And and now just on the back of that, so how then have maybe you could maybe you could almost latch onto this question or how you've done it, but how does an entrepreneur or an individual out there differentiate themselves in the market? I mean, the market is competitive. Um, everyone is literally, I mean, chasing for the same pie. Yeah. You're consistently competing with people that want what you have, whether yeah. it's your car, your girlfriend, your money, your properties, your whatever the case is. How does one stay, I think earlier on you mentioned agile and being competitive, but also differentiate themselves in a very loud market? Yeah, so I think if you don't have a competitive advantage, don't compete. Mm. So why are you competing? Mm. You know, you only compete when you have the ability to dominate, right? So I've seen, like in the, I've seen people copy my work and what I do online, Facebook, all the other platforms. 
they copy the stuff they are right and they make it their own and they want to raise money for their property portfolios from people. I've seen it, right? But it's not genuine because it doesn't come from the heart and people can pick up when something is not genuine. So I think what separates me, what sets me apart is, is my ability to empower other people without expecting anything in return. You know, uh, my ability to build solid relationships. You know, I have, I, I have a lot of people, you know, um, the position where I am in society now, there aren't a lot of people that I can call and they wouldn't take my call because of the work I've done for other people, mm. right? That sets you apart as a person. When people see that this guy has empowered so many people to do extremely well, right? And, and now he does this business. We are willing to invest. So I did a, I did a post the other day for land that we had recently bought. And I wrote the post and I said, okay, we're going to have 120 lifestyle apartments here. And then I said, maybe I should bring in some of you to come and invest with us. Over 250 people commented and said, I want to invest with you. I want to invest with you. And it's mostly people, professionals, doctors, mm. engineers, accountants, entrepreneurs saying, if you are doing a project, I'll invest with you. Right. And I think that it speaks to consistency and staying power because, I mean, I literally wrote on Facebook every day for the past 12 months. Now, that's amazing, right? Because it kind of latches on to Malcolm Gladwell has the 10,000 hour rule. OK. Right. Yeah. Now, do you. So when you sort of think back. Right. At all the different things that you did. So the waste management company with your friends to trying out different businesses to your mother saying, here's um, the, you know, here, here are the rooms manage the tenant money to being sort of asked at the end of the 12 month cycle where that money is. Mm -hmm. Do you kind of feel that everything you sort of went through was worth it for you to sort of be where you are I would go through at it this all moment? Over again. I would go through the pain, the heartache, the ups, the lows, the downs, I'd go through it. So what is that? What was that moment where you were like, you kind of sat back and you were like, this is a win and I'm living good right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I think it, it was um, when I was turning 26, 27. And I realized that uh, I actually have uh, a million bucks um, equity in our portfolio. And not only that, there was cash flow. Mm. That's when I realized, oh, actually, I have it good. Mm. You know, um, and, and, and for me, uh, yes, I've experimented with driving expensive cars. I have, you know, and, and even that. I would do, do it all over again because yeah. I think I think if you've if you've reached a certain level or you've built a business, right, you have to take care of yourself and you have to take care of your family, right. Mm. And but that doesn't mean living lavishly. Lavish is relative, mm. right. What what I considered lavish was not lavish at all. I said something about that mentor of mine. So he's got this Range Rover, very nice Range Rover, right. So. At the time when I had my Jeep, right, I would park my Jeep and get into his Range Rover. Mm. My man, I, at the time I felt like I was driving a Toyota. 
mm. because the levels were just not the same. Mm. You know, the Vogue and the Jeep were two mm. different miles apart, mm. right? So for me, I don't think also I've reached the point where I think I'm living it good. I'm not there yet. Mm. You know, I, I still need to get there. Yeah. There are certain places I need to see myself walking in. Yeah. Certain boardrooms I need to see myself walking in. You know, certain uh, spaces I need to be influencing. Mm. Right? So I don't think I'm I'm there yet. Uh, but yeah, I have a pretty good life. I'm, I'm privileged. I mean, I think, sort of rewind back to the question I asked about entrepreneurship being difficult and how you sort of cope. What What's that one day or moment where you were like, Jesus, I'm quitting. Or even if I'm not <laughs> quitting, yeah. yeah, things have hit the fan and it's difficult. Or whether it was one day or it was an experience, it was, yeah. um, what was it? Yeah, I've done projects that were not completed. Mm. It's disheartening. You feel like quitting. You, know, you had the money. You thought the money was enough to finish the project. And the project is... A white elephant. You've depleted the money. You're halfway in. It's not done. You're not getting any cash flow from it. You can't sell it because if you sell it, then you're selling it for low. I've been there. You know, mm. and it's disheartening, you know, watching, you know, you've got maybe 20 apartments somewhere. They should be finished and they're not. And they're eating into your cash flow. Mm. You know, um, those are moments where you feel like maybe this thing is not even worth it. Yeah. You know, but at the end, when you are done, you realize, oh, shucks, I'm glad I didn't give up. Mm. I'm glad I, I stuck it out. And I think at, at, at the same time, I'm kind of, um, I love winning. I think mm. it's addictive. You know, I can't handle losing. Mm. So when, when, when I've got something that I know is not finished, I don't rest. Until it's finished. Yeah. You know, so even if I don't have the cash, I'll raise the cash. I'll find a way to raise the cash. Yeah. To finish that. You know, and sometimes you are, you know, you find yourself in a position where I find, I've found myself in a position where investors put in the money and then I promised cash flow to them by a certain period. And that period has come. Now I have to pay it from my pocket because the project is not done. Mm. And I have to save my reputation my character and my, uh, my credibility. Because I said to them, by 1st of Jan, you'll receive your first payment. It's 1st of Jan. The project is nowhere near being finished. And how important is that last part, right? Reputation. Because I think in, in sort of our dealings with um, um, business owners or just businesses in general, you find that there is a lax and there is more excuses than there is delivery <laughs> and there is no accountability. And I've always associated accountability with you respecting your own reputation, right? Yeah. That when you have not delivered, you will sort of um, go the extra mile and even pay, the, your, pay your customer back and still deliver the service because you want them to keep you in good respect and good reputation. Yeah. And how is how important is that? Like your reputational equity yeah. over the money where you could have gone back to those investors and said, listen, we let's let's push it further for the next six months. Let's push it for the next 12 months. Yeah. So a good name is better than money. So so when you've got a good name, all right, you can access any space because of your name. Think of the name Mandela. 
it's associated with goodness. You know, whether we've, people can say other things, but the name Mandela and Jebais access, because it's a good name, right? You think of the name Gandhi, that's a good name, Bias access. Now, when you think Hitler, automatically you think, oh, that's not a good name. Why? Because a good name will always make sure that people associate with you. Now, you, you and I are associated, right? And I think um, we are associated because you know me personally, you know, you know, I, what I say online mm. is what I do privately. You know, I'm not trying to buy face, anyone's face. You know for sure that my man has got good character. Mm. All right. And that in and of itself is equity. You know, the good name is my equity. Right. There are projects that I've, I've been called to do where somebody says, I'll put in the land. Don't put in anything. I just want your signature and your name in this project. I know people will buy into it. Mm. The name, the fact that uh, someone will say, I'll attend that conference because Witness Mdaga is going to be there. I'll, I'll pay the money because Witness Mdaga is in that project. It's the name. The name attracts the cash flow, the money, you know. And speaking of reputation, right, when you've got a good reputation, even amongst your peers, peer-to-peer -peer reputation, when deals come, guess who they call first? Oh. They call you because they know, no, you know what? Bulelani, even if he doesn't have cash, he's going to deliver. Yeah. One thing I know, even if the cash runs out, he's going to make sure he delivers. Mm. Why? That's that's your reputation. That's your name. That's your equity. Mm. Right? So to say, for me, I would protect my name at all cost. Mm. Because image, yes, it's good. Reputation, very important. But the most important thing, character. Am I true to myself? And I mean, just on the back of that, as we as we actually also um, round off the interview, right? I mean, my second last question um, to you really would be: Then, in your view, what then becomes the makeup of an individual, an individual, and an entrepreneur? What becomes the makeup of someone who's successful, right? I'm here. I'm listening to this, and I'm sort of thinking to myself: Where do I sort of start? Um, um, positioning myself and sort of putting myself together for these opportunities. Do I start at the reputation? Do I start with, you know, dressing the right way? You know, what then becomes the makeup of mm. someone who's headed in the right direction? Yeah, I think it all boils down to habits, right? And, and I'll share these five, right? Your spirituality, as a person, whether you're a Christian, Hindu, Muslim, believe in Sangomas and ancestors, your spirituality, how true are you to that, right? And how connected are you to this, your spirit being, right? Well, I believe in Christ, so that's my connection, right? Um, it's a habit that I have to say, how do I develop my relationship with Christ and my relationship with God, right? It's my belief. I think... It gives me faith to do things, knowing that God has got my back. Now, secondly, uh, your mentality. How much time do you spend developing that? And how do you develop your mentality? The books you read, the people you spend time with, the things you listen to, the things you allow your eyes to see, all of that form part of your makeup, right? You are some total of the five people you spend most time with. Most of the people I spend time with are entrepreneurs. 
Mm. Right? Be it mentors, be it peers. On a given day, when you find me with someone, even if you just find me with a contractor, a plumber, uh, an electrician, those people are independent contractors that are running their own businesses. So we understand each other on a mindset level. Right? So my mentality is always being sharpened. And then thirdly, uh, physical exercise. You know, we take it lightly, but it's very important for us to look after ourselves physically. You know, people who are successful, they look after themselves. They exercise, they run, they gym, because they always want to have uh, the mental alertness that's required. And you get that through exercise. You know, and, and number four, it's our social capital, right? You spoke of reputation. That's your social capital. That's your name. The networks that you have, the people that you have around you, that determines how far you go. Now, we're sitting here in the studio now. I know for a fact that you are here because you are Bulelani. If it was me saying, can I use your studio? They'll be like, who the heck are you? Property guy. <laughs> no, we deal with people who are in branding, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a reputation thing yeah. that allows you to knock on certain doors and the doors are open just because it's you. I know people that will take my call just because it's me. You know, I've seen it with my mentors, right? I would call with my other number and it doesn't pick up. I'm like, oh, he doesn't have this number. Then I use my number to call. I call, he picks up. And then he says, I'm in a meeting. I'll call you back. So, hmm, quite interesting. The number he didn't know, he didn't answer. But when I called with the number he knows, he answered, even if it meant to say to me, I'll talk to you later. Why? This person values the relationship that he has with me. That's my social capital, right? And then lastly, um, financial management. You know, it's very important, you know, to look after one's finances at the level where one is. I said, if you can't manage 3,500, there's no way you're going to manage 3.5 million. A reckless spender at the level of 3,500 3, is a reckless spender at 350 million. You've seen it in this country. You know, so that's for me. Uh, spirituality, mentality, uh, uh, social capital, physical fitness, and financial management. That's where we start. Now, thank you so much for your time. I think as we wrap it up, just one line tip yeah. to whether tip, inspiration, thoughts, yeah. nuggets, whatever you have in mind to a listener out there. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of that opportunity. And I think the last one, when is the best time to invest? <laughs> the best time to invest was last uh, was yesterday. The second best time is now. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Witness Mdaga. No, 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 no. What, what are your social media handles, actually? So that there's a lot yeah. of people who are listening to this who'd love to follow you. You can find me first on my website, www.witnessmdaga.com. Find me on Facebook, Witness Mdaga. Uh, and my page, Witness Mdaga, it's more than just money. And then you can also find me on Instagram. Ladies, oh, I've yeah. got a YouTube channel as well. You can get me on YouTube. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Witness Mdaga. Thank you so much for listening in. Do join us next week. And also shout out to the family at Joe Public, who has made uh, this podcast possible. Thank you so much. Join you so you guys can follow up on all of our other episodes and content and share with as many other disruptors, crazy ones, entrepreneurs, and hustlers. Have a beautiful day further. That's it for today. If you like that podcast, show us some love and share it with your network. 
Once again, follow us on all of our social media platforms, hashtag join us for tea. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Shout out to Joe Public for making this possible. Remember, Sisonke Rikaufela and Foster Njengom Zegezege.